Think about what you do when you wake up in the morning. Do you go over, maybe wash your face a little bit, maybe get a cup of water, a big old giant bottle of water if you're me, perhaps just filling it up in my reusable water because you got you to gotta get the measurements to make sure you're getting enough water throughout the day. Maybe you're brushing your teeth, so you put water on your toothbrush, throw some toothpaste on there, and go at it. That sounds violent. Like, you're just, just brush your teeth. Don't, like, you know, saw your, your gums off or anything like that. Maybe before bed, you're doing the same type of thing. You're drinking some water, maybe making a little tea, brushing again before bed. For close to 800 million people across the world, these simple activities, not easy to do. Without the risk of waterborne illness, because they don't have access to clean water, it's something we take for granted for sure. If you are living in somewhere where you can just drink water right out of the faucet, right out of the tap. But for so many people, it's a tough reality that they have to travel hours at a time just to find somewhere that has clean water and then travel hours back to bring it back to their families. But the good news is that we do have the technology and the knowledge for how to solve the water crisis. It just takes a lot of resources and time to make it happen. But that's exactly what Charity Water is setting out to do. They've already helped more than 100,000 different locations get access to clean water and maintain that access. And I'm chatting with Christoph Gorder, the Chief Global Water Officer of Charity Water, about how they've been doing it and what they have coming up. They have big aspirations for the coming year. With your help, they can get there. Christoph also shares why they've been able to have such successful relationships with their donors. And his tips are applicable for any business. So if you've got a brand that's maybe not a nonprofit, you'll still want to listen up because there's lots of goodies in here. And as always, if you enjoy the show, head over to Podchaser or Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star review. I'll read some of my favorites on upcoming episodes because I love hearing from you, but only if it's five stars. If it's one star, don't want to hear that. Take that over to Joe Rogan or something else. I'm Joey Held. This is Good People, Cool Things, and here's Christoph Gorder with Charity Water. To kick things off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? So I'm Christoph Gorder. I'm the Chief Global Water Officer at Charity Water. We're a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to providing clean and safe drinking water to people around the world. We are on a very fast elevator. So we got a really uh, big problem out there around the world. There's 770 million people who need our help who don't have access to clean water. So they're drinking from rivers and swamps and streams every day. And it is a huge cause of human suffering and and death around the world. So um, there's a lot of urgency. And uh, Charity Water was born about 16 years ago out of nothing. Our founder is a guy named Scott Harrison. He started it on a couch in Soho in New York City with with no money. And uh, we've reached over 15 million people in the last uh, 16 years. And so um, we've grown really quickly, uh, but the problem is big and we need to grow faster to help more people. Awesome. And how did you get involved personally? There's, there's sort of two answers to this question. I'd spent 15 years before coming to Charity Water working in a very similar type of work. So I worked for a, a nonprofit organization. We worked on disaster response around the world, particularly in healthcare, in the healthcare setting. So we were getting hospitals and clinics up and going after big disasters around the world, earthquake in Haiti or the war in Kosovo or tsunami in Indonesia. And, you know, what I was seeing, my experience in that was that, you know, a lot of the patients that were coming in weren't necessarily coming in from direct injuries from the, from the disaster. 
but from waterborne diseases because they didn't have access to clean water. So, the, you know, we'd, we'd get them into the hospital. They'd you know, The doctors would patch them up. They'd send them back home, and they'd be back, you know, a month later or, six, you know, six weeks later with, you know, again, sick from, from dysentery or typhoid or, you know, uh, any of these diarrhea, any of these terrible diseases you get from dirty water. And so for me, it was a big, you know, uh, I was working in the similar environments that I work in today, but, uh, you know, moving into clean water, I was able to move into like one of the root, uh, root causes of, you know, so much of the suffering that I had, I had seen in, in my previous career. So I did that for 15 years. Then I came over to charity water as we were kind of building it. We've, we've built it up a lot over the course of 10 years. So that's, that's like the LinkedIn version of how did I get here? Um, <laughs> The uh, the Instagram version, which would be like, what's my personal story, is that I grew up in West Africa. So my parents were Lutheran missionaries in the Central African Republic and in Nigeria. And I, I, I lived my whole life there until I finished high school. So I grew up in the environments that I work in today, which I think, you know, has really equipped me uniquely to do my job in two ways. One is um, it just is real, man. Like I grew up with this. Like I, you know, it was stressful. You know, you couldn't. When I was a kid, you couldn't go to, I couldn't go to my friend's house and drink water. Like I had to only drink water in my house. We had a filter in my house, but my friends didn't. Um, so, so I have a lot of motivation. Like these people were neighbors and friends and, you know, except for it's, 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 a, I've, I've seen it directly. Um, the other thing is, you know, just, I just, I grew up in this environment. So I feel very comfortable in, uh, being in very unusual environments or, or environments that other people would feel very uncomfortable. So it's really helped me. And, you know, the last 25 years of my career, you know, kind of land someplace and work well with lots of different kind of people just because of the way I was raised. So those are the kind of two answers to one question there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a, a really good point of like having lived it. Um, and, and I know we've talking, we're both big travelers as well. And I think, you know, people who, who maybe don't travel as much, Sometimes it can be hard to kind of almost hammer home wh- like why this is such an issue across the the world. And I think when you do travel and you see other countries that it's like, yeah, you can't just turn on a faucet and get water uh, unless you you know you want to risk a, a disease or anything. We take like it that. so for so, granted. You know, you take it for yeah. granted. It's it's the first thing you do in the morning. You get up, you're you don't even think about it. You use the you use the toilet and flush it, and then you get a drink of water and brush your teeth. I mean you don't even think it's the last thing you do at night. You brush your teeth and take a drink of water. Um, it's, it's, and you know, as you said, like, you know, the first time you go into a developing country and you're in your hotel and you're like, uh, you know, I'm like, and I brush my teeth with this stuff. And that's, you know, that's nothing compared to what these people have to live with, you know, like these, yeah. these people, you know, they're walking hours every day, um, to go to some stream someplace with poisonous water. And then they're walking back home. And, it's it's the women and girls that really suffer the most um, because traditionally in many of these societies they're the ones who are tasked with going to fetch the water, and so these young girls like I have a, you know it it really things things really hit home for me in a different way when I had kids you know my my eldest is a is is uh, is a girl and you know being out in these communities and seeing kids you know my daughter's age thirteen fourteen years old and you know, they weren't going to school, they weren't chilling out with their friends, you know, being creative, like they were just walking for hours, like every day. It's it's really, it's really terrible. And it's an experience that's, you know, inconceivable for us today in modern America, right? Uh, And it wasn't, you know, the the amazing thing is, um, we solved it here. Like, this is a solvable, solvable problem, right? So, you know, if you, 
you don't have to look very far back in the United States to find these kinds of situations in our own country. And, um, and, and we, we've been able to solve it. So, so the thing about water, the really satisfying thing about working in water is like, we know how to solve this problem. <laughs> like we've yeah. solved it in a lot of places. There's still a lot of places that need our help, but like, it's not like some of the other problems in the world, you know, climate change. How do we, how do we solve that? Uh, I don't know. You have opinion. I have an opinion, uh, social equality, um, you, you know, in, any of the big world problems are, you know, really thorny problems to solve. Whereas this, like hundred percent, there's a solution. We know how to do it. We, we just need to get mobilized to do it. And so what are some of the things that you've done already to, to help with that? So, you know, we, we work across 21 countries in Africa and Asia. They're really diverse. And so the solutions need to be really diverse too. Um, you know, we're working in the deserts uh, of Mali and Niger in West Africa. We work in Cambodia where, you, you know, you think about like rice paddies and a lot of surface water and, um, uh, and, and rivers. Uh, we work in jungles and, you know, high mountainous areas. And so, uh, you know, the interesting thing about water is you really, the solutions really need to be local. And um, and they need to be engineered to be local. And so in some cases, like Cambodia, they would be household filtration devices because there's water kind of everywhere. You just dig a hole, you know, 10 feet deep in your backyard and you have a well and there's plenty of water there, but it's dirty. So what you need is a filtration device um, in you know other places, more arid places like northern Kenya in an area called Turkana. Uh, you know, one of the harshest environments out there. You know, you got to do a very deep borehole. Um, with a solar pump, you bring the water up to a, an elevated tank, and then it, it uses gravity to feed it out through a network of, of pipes to, you know, t- little community taps in different parts of the community. So, you know, really the technologies vary quite significantly. The costs vary quite significantly based on where you are. But the average project for us, when we look at sort of the middle of the bell curve, it's about a, about a $10,000 undertaking. And it helps, it'll, it'll solve the issue for a village of about 250 to 300 people. So, you know, in those places, what's, what's amazing about this is in many of these places, people have been living on top of all the clean water, like a, clean water is like 150 feet below them. Mm-hmm. Like for hundreds of years, they've been living 150 feet away from all the clean water they would ever need. And what's separating them is that 150 feet and about $10,000 of you know, technical knowledge and drilling rigs and diesel and some pipes and whatnot. And they like, they're so close. They're so close. <laughs> and, um, and we can bridge that gap for them. So, you know, I would say, yes, the solutions are very diverse, but, but an average project would cost about 10 grand and solve the problem for about 250. people. Amazing. And has there been, I know, I know we've talked a little bit about how like we know how to solve this but has there been anything that's surprised you whether it's like in some of the technology that you've implemented or just like going to one of these countries or one of these villages and just seeing you know like workarounds that that people have come up with yeah i mean so there's a i would have a bunch of answers to that first of all is like what a big difference water clean clean, access to clean water makes i mean it, it it, it really touches all aspects of life. And so, and it's almost, impo- it's almost impossible to imagine any human development, any progress, if you don't have clean water, right? So if you don't have clean water, you're spending hours a day going to fetch water. So you're using your time and your energy to go, you know, you're just in this revolving circle, you're getting sick. So any extra money you have, you're using on medicine or going to the doctor. Um, the girls aren't going to school because 
when they reach puberty and uh, start to have their period, there aren't sanitary facilities and, and water at school. So they stop going to school. I mean, and it's just like, it's just, it's, it, it, it really, it's impossible to think about moving forward. When, or when, when, when communities get clean water, man, it just like all of a sudden that flywheel just starts. So you imagine like if somebody gave you back two or three hours in the day where you were just doing completely unproductive, horrible, like <laughs> work that didn't amount to anything. If somebody just gave you two or three hours, like, what would you do with that, man? You would like, you would farm more. You'd come up with like ideas for businesses. You would spend time with your kids. You'd make sure they were like clean and well-fed and doing their schoolwork, you know? So like you imagine you imagine what that means in sort of practical terms like we know from from research that a dollar invested in clean water and sanitation produces four to twelve dollars return on investment in terms of economic benefits to a community so you know when you're talking about people who are making a dollar a day who are living on a dollar a day like every penny counts and we can add a lot to it so to see the difference between a community that got clean water five, you know, they've had clean water for five years or 10 years, you know, that the, the women are running little businesses, the kids are clean, schools are full. Um, they're, they're lobbying their local government to get electricity. And it just, it's a completely different kind of, uh, environment. And, and, um, so that, you know, that, that's surprising, you know, it's like you imagine it makes it a big difference, but then you see it and it's like, wow. Yeah. I, I think the, the other thing that's been surprising for me and just a huge challenge for, for us and for everybody else is just how, how difficult it is to keep clean water flowing. So it's hard to build a water project. You got to raise the money. You got to find the water. You got to do the political process. You've got to figure out like, there's a lot that goes into building a project and building it in a sustainable way. And then that project has to last, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And over the course of time, you know, I, you know, making sure that communities are able to keep their clean water flowing is, is incredibly complicated because these places are in the middle of nowhere. All sorts of stuff comes up, you know, you have, uh, you have social conflict, people don't get along. And so they don't repair it. You have like supply chain breakdown, you've got floods, you know, (laughs) any sort of thing can go wrong. And so we've worked really hard on, on that aspect. And that, that's something that, you know, costs doesn't it's not it's not that it costs so much money it just ta- it's really complicated uh and that mm-hmm. that's been that's been a surprise for me yes yeah it's i mean this is on a, a much smaller scale but i feel like most things like and maybe and maybe this is just like the weight of the pandemic weighing down too but i feel like most new projects i've tried to undertake in the past two and a half years it's like okay this should be a quick thing like this shouldn't this shouldn't take a lot of time this should be pretty simple and then it's it's hours later and i'm just banging my head against a wall (laughs) yeah and you know this this makes sense but i think you know when you go into it it's easy to be a little naive about like you know how quick and easy this is going to be right Mm -hmm. um and so you know we've learned we've learned that over time and so it's really helped us i think you know, instead of thinking, oh, well, we'll go in and, you know, we'll build a water project, this community, it'll take us a couple of months and we'll be done and we'll move on. And, you know, that'll be it. Really think about like, okay, yes, it'll take us a couple of months to build a pro- project here, but we're going to want to keep in touch with these guys at some level for the next 10 years, just to make sure everything's going right. And they're able to fix the vast majority of the issues that they come against, come up against uh, but if they see, if they run into some problem that they can't fix themselves, like we're going to still be in touch and they can call us and we can help them. 
and and keeping so you know we've we've built or funded a hundred thousand projects around the world uh, in the yeah. last fifteen years a hundred thousand locations <laughs> in in the middle of nowhere I mean like this is like you know you fly to the capital city in Africa then you fly to like a regional town and then you get in a truck and you drive like four hours out like <laughs> that's where these things are located so a hundred hundred thousand little dots in the map keeping track of those is a major undertaking so so you know, a huge shift for us was going, was, was kind of that aha moment years ago when we were like, oh, it doesn't just end. Like, you don't just like, you know, like you don't just like build a project and walk away from it. Um, it's going to need a little bit of help. Uh, and that, 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 that's really complicated. That's been surprising. <laughs> that, keeps, <laughs> that keeps me, that keeps me challenged every day. <laughs> it's nice to be, be kept on your toes, I think. <laughs> Today's sponsor is mylifeinabook.com, and it's a really special one for me because we don't often get to offer a truly unique, meaningful, and life-changing gift to our loved ones. We're usually getting something symbolic, like a, you know, a chocolate that someone really likes, or a material objects like Boggle or Koo. I mean, Koo's a great game. Boggle, mm, I could take it or leave it, but I know some people, Peggy Hill, she loves some Boggle. Those gifts... Sure, they're great, but they don't truly build a legacy for our loved ones. With mylifeinabook.com, you can give any close family member of your choice the opportunity to write their own life story for future generations. You get to learn everything about them, their biggest childhood challenge. For me, it was pull-ups. When we had to do pull-ups in gym class, I'd watch my other classmates who maybe weren't chunky kids. They'd do 10, 15 pull-ups like it ain't no thing. I couldn't even get one. Today, you give me a pull-up bar, I still probably can't get one. They're very hard. I don't like pull-ups. The craziest thing they've ever done as young adults, probably a volunteer trip. I went on to the Dominican Republic while I was in college. It was a month of adventuring and helping build schools and teaching kids English. It was fantastic. I would highly recommend anyone do anything like that. Those are just two of the questions. There's much more. MyLifeInABook.com makes the process so so easy. Your loved one will get a question of your choice every week. You can either select from a suggested list or write your own. If you want to really ask someone about nature or their favorite travel destinations or anything like that, all they have to do is answer the question and provide a meaningful picture. At the end of one year, they're all gathered in a beautiful keepsake book and you can order as many additional copies as you want. My mom a few years ago was going through some old photo books and had a lot of cool photos, but didn't have the context for all of them. And if she had something like this, we could have had a big old keepsake. We can grab all those photos. We can put questions and answers to them, make it a wonderful, truly magical experience for both of us. Because I'm learning more about her. She's getting to see all of these things put together. It's wonderful and fantastic. Think about it. What better way to show your loved ones how much their life means to you? And what better way to preserve their memories and life lessons for the future? And because you are listening to this show, I got you with $10 off your first purchase. Just use discount code GPCT. It's also in the show notes. If you just want to click a link, you're like, I don't want to type stuff. I just want to click a link. I got you covered there. That's GPCT to get $10 off on mylifeinabook.com. Going back more towards the, I guess, like the other side of a nonprofit, because there's obviously the work that you're doing, but then there's also educating people 
raising money, getting those funds like that, which I I think especially and again in a time of time of the world where I at least in the U.S. the you know inflation rates are going up, it seems like everything's more expensive than it used to be. I know some of my favorite restaurants. I'm just like I used to tell you to the cent what this could cost, and now it's more than that. But I'll, I'll still eat it because it's great. So I guess it's it's kind of a two part question. How have you worked to educate people and and you know spread the word about what you're doing? And have you found that that strategy has had to shift over the past few years since maybe people are a little more careful with money or at least more aware of like what they're spending it on? You know, when we started the organization and we thought about what what were our biggest challenges. Um, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, you might think, oh, well, it's, you know, we're working in like far off places that might be corrupt. There might be wars there. Uh, how, just, how do you find the water? Like you might drill and not find like, actually, those are sort of secondary problems. The, the big problem that we were facing when, when we, or we thought that, that we believe we face as an organization is that, you know, people don't trust charities. And, um, so if you're in my position and, and. The, the, our ability to accomplish our mission to give people access to clean water relies, you know, totally on you trusting me and you giving me some donation that I that and that I'm going to use that well. So, so you know, when when you read about this, like there's a study done that said 43% of Americans don't trust charities. Wow, um, and 75% of Americans think the charities spend their money poorly or very poorly. So you're in my position and you're like, oh man, like I have to give people trust me before you know before we can even start to face those other problems of like difficult working environments so at the very beginning we set up the organization in a very unique way we said okay a hundred percent of your donation is going to go to the field um we're not going to use any of it for our overhead for our salaries for like managing any of that all of that money we still like i still need to make a salary i still need to fly out there and make sure that the project was done right all of that's going to be paid for by a separate group of donors. So there's like 130 or so individuals or families who specifically opt in to just cover like salary. So none of their money goes to Africa or Asia. All of their money stays here and pays for, you know, all of our expenses. So that was kind of the first step for us. And we really set up this unique model. And that allows us then to really, um, you know, give people a lot of confidence that their money is going, is not getting like spent on something that they didn't expect it to get spent on. Um, it's getting spent in the field and that's really helped us a lot. You know, that along with transparency that we have of, you know, proving every single project, mapping every single project and publishing it. Um, so that, that's created kind of like, a, I think a unique relationship with the people who, who give to us. And that means that they, people have been, have felt like they really understand what their impact is and how important their impact is. And, um, and, and, you know, what their money is actually, what, what their money is actually doing, because we can quantify it pretty well. Um, the last few years have been really interesting. Um, my experience is that, and, and, and we've seen this through COVID when, you know, there was a, you know, big downturn, a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, now there's a inflation, a lot of uncertainty. It's interesting because I think when people go through difficult times like this, and when they see their family members or neighbors or friends going through this, they become more empathetic and we've seen people really step up in this time to say like, um, you know, wow, like, yeah, if it's, if it's, if it's tough for me, imagine how tough it is for somebody out there because inflation is global. You know, mm-hmm. the price of food and fuel is high here and it's high in Ethiopia, you know? So you imagine you're trying to raise a family on, you know, a dollar or two a day and, you know, the price of oil or flour, you know, raises by 20%. This is like, 
you know, it's huge. Like, you know, I, uh, I don't like paying more for, 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 for gas, for, for gas at the pump, but at the ultimate, yeah. at the, at the end of the day, I can, I can get that done and I have to sacrifice something that, that I'm, I might not have done. So we've found that people actually become very empathetic in, in difficult times. And, uh, it's really inspiring. It's, it's amazing. Like that's, uh, humans are amazing. Like, uh, and Americans particularly are the most generous people in the world. Like that's just, that's not me saying it. That's just like the data. So, you know, we're, we're lucky to be, um, you know, in the environment we are in and to have the amazing support that we, that we get. Well, maybe that segues nicely then into a question you wish you were asked more frequently, which is someone coming up to you and being like, what can I do to help? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, um, we all are, um, very busy with our lives. <laughs> life is life is generally overwhelming for all of us right we've got <laughs> jobs and uh loved ones and kids and aspirations and hobbies and like you know there's just never enough hours in the day and i think um you know to stop stop what you're doing and to ask anybody like what what can i what can i do to help you know whether it's your spouse or your kid or your neighbor or the local charity or your pta or whatever like um, you know, generosity is a, is one of our values at Charity Water. Um, and, you know, if everybody were able to dial up their willingness to help and just a little bit, a little, little bit, um, it, 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 it could change the world. And, you know, that's, um, you know, we see, we see it around us all the time. So when people come to me and say, you know, what can I do to help? I'm like, oh, you know, like, wow, this is great. Like, like we, we are built to put that energy to work for what is actually just a very small amount of effort in the grand scheme of things. Um, you can make an, you can make a huge difference. So for us, for example, it costs on average about forty dollars to give one person access to clean water. I mean, for many many people, that is <laughs> well within their their yeah. their ability. And you know, you, the the these people are on the other side of the world. They can't advocate in front of you. Um, they really need, they need us to kind of take a step forward and, and say, yeah, like, like, what can I, what can I do to help? Because they, they're, they're far away and voiceless. And, um, so I, that's, that's the question. Like when somebody says, what can I do to help? Like, oh man, that's great. Like you're, you're given and not taking, and it's an amazing thing. Can you give us just a, a quick, I, I guess a look ahead probably to 2023 since we're Somehow, almost at the end of the year already, that I still know. baffles I mean, me uh, every day. But some of the the projects that you're working on, so we are, um, you know, we're we're engaged in you know pretty significant projects across twenty twenty one countries. Um, in each one of those countries, we have identified a particular region or county or district that we are, you know, sort of working diligently towards getting to full coverage and you know reaching reaching everybody in the, that district with access to clean water and so you know we've got a pretty ambitious um plan for the next five years to try to reach uh, another 15 million people with access to clean water and then keep water flowing for all of those 15 million people plus all of the water projects in the areas where we're working that might have been built by other organizations so running you know large maintenance programs so we think we'll 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 you know with with the support of many many people we 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 hope we'll be able to provide clean water for the first time to 15 million people 
and then keep water flowing and run maintenance programs, sustainability programs for probably another 40 million people. So we're going to try to help 50 million people in the next five years, um, but that's not going to happen by itself. Like we've, we've, we've got the way to do it. We, we, we can, we can execute on the ground, but it takes an enormous amount of resources. So, um, you know, we need, we need every, every bit that, uh, that we can and every, every, every little bit helps, helps one person. Amazing. All right. Well, Christoph, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three. And when we were talking beforehand, this might be the hardest question of all here, but your top three ways to spend a day off anywhere in the world. Well, I, uh, it's, it's a hard question. Um, <laughs> it, it's a hard question for the second dude. The first one is I, I, my favorite way to spend, spend uh, a day off is with my family. Um, so I'm, uh, I've, I've been married to my wife, uh, for 22 years and uh, I have two great kids and, um, that's, doesn't really matter where we are. <laughs> like, um, so like that, that would be my, my number one choice, but then number two and number three are really hard. Cause I'm like, okay, well, and where would we do that? Um, I've been to 92 countries and, wow. uh, I've been to a lot of really, really, really amazing places. Um, and so as I, I was thinking about this, I think, I think I might go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming as like number one, because I just love the mountains. And I think that the Tetons, the Grand Tetons are just, you know, it's one of the most spectacular views in the world. It's just absolutely beautiful. And I would, uh, I would go there and go for a walk in the Grand Teton National Park. And uh, I really like the outdoors. So my answers are, are, are outdoorsy answers. And I think the other spectacular, spectacular place that I, if I could just transport myself, I would go to the to the Serengeti, um, which is just the most beautiful, great plains full of animals and like, looks like, um, it looks like the garden of Eden. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And, and, uh, and feels like a a paradise on earth. That's so I would spend a day with my family anywhere in the world doing whatever. Um, and then if I could, I'd go to Jackson and jump on my time machine and fly very fast (laughs) to the Serengeti. (laughs) <laughs> amazing this is a just a, a tangent but uh, i used to do i guess i still do but less frequently but i um voiceover work and the very first project i ever worked on was for an event that was at jackson hole um in wyoming and i was like i've never been there but it was just promoting this this um i think it was some sort of like cowboy event or something that they do i uh, i don't know if it's an annual thing or it's just you know some some sort of thing but basically like a hype video like a hype audio for a minute or two uh and then i i was like it sounds awesome i want to go if, so, if you awesome. haven't been there uh you should put it on your bucket list you will not be disappointed excellent it's on there it's on there <laughs> well if people want to help like like we talked about if they want to get involved or learn more about charity water where can they find you um, jump on our website, charitywater.org, uh, or, you know, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you know, I think the first thing is just check it out, like learn about it. We've got a lot of great, like awesome videos and stories on there. Um, it's, um, you know, we, we're excited about our work. We're, we're inspired by, uh, the work that we get involved in. We're not giving anybody a guilt trip, like come along for the ride. Like, like this is, um, this is inspiring, fun work. And, um, there is no contribution that's too small. I mean, you know, if you think like, if you give 10 bucks, like we'll get three other people to give 10 bucks and we'll help, we'll help one person like solve their problem, uh, in, in a profound way. So, um, you know, 
jump online, learn about it and just, just join us, man. This is like, this is, um, we'd love to have you. Love it. Well, Christoph, thanks so much again. This was great. Awesome. Thanks. It was great chatting with you, Joey. Likewise. And of course, we've got to end with a corny joke, as we always do. Why did the ocean break up with the pond? She thought he was too shallow. Get after it today, people. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. If you're hearing this song on your phone, in your car, or in aisle seven of the grocery store, you're not really hearing it. You're not really hearing the hypnotic disco synth as clearly as you could. You're not really feeling the bass line in your chest. And you're certainly not hearing a century of sound innovation. The only way to hear this song the way the artist intended is to hear it on a Denon home speaker. A speaker built with as much craft, dedication, and precision as the music it plays. Which means you won't just hear the song, you'll feel it. Denon home wireless speakers, crafted by the sound obsessed for the sound obsessed.